Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In alhamdulillah, assalatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Brothers and sisters, the first lecture for this morning's program is entitled Knowledge of Allah is a Must and it's to be given by Sheikh Wajdi Al-Ghazawi who is the Imam of King Fahad Mosque in Mecca. And we will allow the lecture to proceed for about 45 minutes inshallah and then we'll take questions which you must write down please. So the paper should be passed out in time for you to write the questions and if no one's collecting them, please someone try to bring them up to the side of the table in good time so that we have time to go through them, inshallah. And make sure the questions are on the topic, please, because we will filter them out if they're not uh, relevant to the topic. So I now hand over to the Sheikh, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nasta'hdih. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه من خلقه وخليله يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الكلام كلام الله تبارك وتعالى وخير الهدى هدى نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار ثم أما بعد إن شاء الله brothers and sisters we will elaborate on the topic as the brother Jazakallah khair mentioned knowledge of Allah is a must but before I start sharing whatever I prepared for you, it is very important to recognize the difference between two Arabic words which are related to the topic of today, knowledge of Allah. The two words are al-ma'rifa wal-ilm. We say in Arabic, ma'rifatullah, and we say al-ilmu billah. The two different meanings. Al-ilmu billah is the knowledge of Allah. That's al-ilm, to know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, this is a very general meaning. Unlike al-ma'rifah. Al-ma'rifah, when you say that you have ma'rifah about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means that you know more details. It is 
to know Allah, to have knowledge of Allah, but in depth, with more details. So, you must be aware of the meaning of these two words, al-ma'rifa wal-ilm. Al-ilm is the knowledge of Allah. You say that this person is knowledgeable of Allah, it means he knows general things about the Almighty, Allah, His names, His attributes. Unlike the one who is, or who has ma'rifa, he knows more details, and he knows Allah in depth, he knows some specifics. Unfortunately, this word al-ma'rifa is being misused by the Sufis. They claim that al-ma'rifa is to know certain things that others do not know. And they call the pious ones al-'arifu billah. He is the most cognizant person of Allah's knowledge and so forth. So we're not, when we use the word al-ma'rifa, we're not definitely using the word in that connotation that the Sufis are using. So, the title here, knowledge of Allah is a must, al-'ilmu billah is a must indeed, al-ma'rifa, not only knowledge of Allah. Okay, can, can I use that one? I think it's clearer. So, here when we say Al-ilmu billah, knowledge of Allah is a must I would rather say Al-ma'rifa, ma'rifatullah is a must And this is what our scholars always use in their books They refer to it as ma'rifatullah Like Ibn al-Qayyim and others And inshallah we will look at this So, the first obligation on every creature of Allah The first mandatory thing on every individual is to know the Creator. Is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His Creator. This is the first obligation. And when we say the first obligation, you must know that the deviants, they have different opinions. The first obligation in their thoughts and in their beliefs are things other than knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which are not useful to mention now. I don't want to digress. But it's important to know that only the people of Sunnah, those who are following the Messenger of Allah, and those who are following divine revelation, are those who believe that the first obligation is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is to know Him the way He wants His servants to know him. And this is a key point. This is something very important. How do we know Allah? There are of course many ways to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are ways for every individual, whether regardless of his faith, whether he's a Muslim or a Kafir. There are certain ways that if every individual reflects upon, he will come to the conclusion not only that Allah does exist, but that He is the only one who is worthy of being worshipped. And this is the fruit of knowing Allah. Why do we have to know Allah? So at the end we will be amongst the most fearful of Allah and the most obedient servants of Allah. 
This is the fruit of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before we go now and elaborate on the ways, how do we know Allah? How do we come to realize the names and the attributes and the importance of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The fruit of that is to worship Allah, to be amongst the most fearful ones. And I must admit that 45 minutes, the time is not enough, but inshallah, I'll do my best to go through the points. As I mentioned earlier, brothers and sisters, these ways that I will mention, inshallah, are good even for non-Muslims to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The definition of ma'rifatullah, Islamically, the scholars, they, everyone of course defined it in his own way. But at the end, we have a very comprehensive definition. They said the knowledge of Allah or ma'rifatullah, knowing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is to know Allah the way He presented Himself in His book and the way that His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described Him. The way the Prophet ﷺ informed us about Allah, this is how, or this is exactly the ma'rifah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do we know Allah? We know Allah, of course, by whatever He tells us about Himself. And this is the most powerful way, and the, of course, most effective way. It's very... And of course... You may say, well, the non-Muslims might not believe in this. Because how are we going to present something about Allah that He says about Himself? We have to go to the Qur'an. There are numerous ayat in the Qur'an in which Allah described Himself and informed us about Himself. So you may say, well, the the non-Muslims, they don't believe in the Qur'an in the first place. So how are they going to accept what Allah is telling His servants about himself in the Qur'an. The answer is, leave that to their default belief, to their nature. We call it al-fitrah. Inshallah, we will elaborate on that. Once any human being listens to the words of Allah, it will strike his nature immediately, and it will touch him immediately, and he will know that this is his Lord talking to him. And inshallah, we will bring some ayat from the Qur'an. I'll just mention one example. One of the examples of the ayat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us about himself. It is a well-known ayah that I'm sure all of you memorize it and know it by heart, and those who do not, they should immediately memorize this ayah which is known as Ayat al-Kursi. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I will read the translation of the meaning. Allah, there is no deity except Him, the ever-living. Now listen carefully, Allah is telling us about Himself. This is how we know Allah. This is one of the ways of knowing Allah, ma'rifatullah, is to listen to the Almighty when He introduces Himself to you. He's saying that there is no deity except Him, the ever-living, the sustainer of all existence. Neither drowsiness overtakes Him, no sleep. So this is something that you should know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what fits His majesty. Also He says, 
To him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is on the earth. Everything belongs to him. Now, once you read this, and you, of course, as Muslims believe in Quran, it will move you in a different way. But trust me, even if the, a non-Muslim reads this, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِنْ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ اسْتَجَارَكَ فَأَجِرْهُ حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ If one of the polytheists, one of the mushrikeen, sought asylum, then grant him asylum till he listens to the words of Allah. That would definitely be sufficient for him to listen to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ayah continues, Who who is it that can intercede with him except by his permission? No one can intercede regardless of his position. Whether he's a messenger or an angel, no one can intercede before Allah without his permission. He knows what is presently before them and what will be after them. Describing his knowledge. And as I mentioned earlier in one of the previous lectures, that we must believe in the knowledge of Allah, that He is the all-knowing. He knows things that would happen, how they would happen, and even He knows things that would never happen if they were to happen, how they would happen. You must believe in this. This of course will lead you to know Allah more. This is al-ma'rifah. To know things in depth. In depth. Al-ilm now, someone knows that Allah is the all-knowing. He is al-alim. This is ilm. But when you know that He knows everything, and He knows even things that would never happen, if they were to happen, how they would happen, this is ma'rifah now. You know more. You know in depth. Can anyone bring an evidence to substantiate this point that I say that he knows the things that would happen if they, the things that would never happen, would never ever happen and take place. If they were to happen, we must believe that Allah would know the details of that action. Does anyone remember an evidence for that from the Qur'an? Yeah, and there would never be more than one God. And another ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned about the people of fire. They would ask for a break. They would ask Allah to give them a chance to come back to this life so they can do righteous deeds. And so they can do good. Would this ever happen? No. But if it were to happen, Allah told us in the Quran and said, وَلَوْ رُدُّوا لَعَادُوا لِمَا نُهُوا If they were to be given a chance to come back to this life, they will go back and disobey Allah again. Even after they witness and experience the severe punishment and the fire, if they were to be given a chance to go back to this life, they will disobey Allah and disbelief again. So, this is what Allah is saying here, that, he knows what is presently before them and what will be after them. And they encompasses not a thing of his knowledge except for what he wills. So, whatever knowledge we have, it's by his permission. And Allah said, 
وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That whatever knowledge you've been given is nothing but very little. And of course, this covers the knowledge of this dunya, the secular knowledge. So whatever technology, whatever information they know about this earth, about this space, about, what, about medicine, is nothing but little. This is what Allah says. So they, and they encompass not a thing of his knowledge except for what he wills. His kursi, of course he explained here, the footnote says, and it's a, this is a very good, important point, because some people mix between the kursi and the throne. It says here, the chair or the footstool. His kursi extends over the heavens and the earth, and their preservation tires him not, and he is the most high, the most great. This is just one example of one of the ayat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is informing his servants, his creatures about himself. So how do we know Allah? How do we come to know Allah the Almighty is through his words. Another way is by your fitrah. And you can use this with non-Muslims, especially the decent ones, especially the sincere ones, those who are educated and open-minded. You can use this method, very effective one. It's the nature. Al-fitrah, it's, it's the default system of any human being. That's his inborn, natural inclination to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's something within himself. He cannot deny it. Neither can he resist it. It is something that is built in. So once you tell him about Allah, his soul, his inside, and he himself will be motivated to know more, and he's inclined naturally to believe whatever he's about to hear. And then it's left to his arrogance, whether to accept it or reject it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here in the ayah made it very clear that there is no way to change the fitrah that Allah has created, the fitrah of Allah. No one can change it. Of course, there might be factors that would influence the fitrah, but it would never be totally changed. It will be influenced, but never changed. So we can use that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, I have to be very brief, excuse me, for the sake of time. Allah mentioned in the Qur'an that even those who claim that they, that they do not believe in the existence of Allah, and they believe in nature and hidden power, whatsoever they call it, that we challenge them, that during difficulties and rough times, they will supplicate Allah only. Why? Because their nature tell them, the nature tells them that they must turn toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in prayer and in supplication. So one of the ways to know that is through nature. Another way, very effective way, is through the ayat of Allah. Ayatullah means an ayah, means a sign. 
something very manifested, something very clear. And of course, Allah mentioned this way in the Quran in different ayat in which He instructed all of us to reflect upon the creation. Just look at the heavens, how Allah created them, look at the mountains, look at the trees, look at everything, and see how Allah created them. And also Allah used the methodology of challenging people. And this is very powerful. I will mention two examples of very clear challenge in the Qur'an. One was in the past, at the time of the Prophet wasallam, and it's over. Can't be used anymore. Cannot be used anymore. And one which is valid. We can use it anytime. This challenge in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, and He says in Surah Al-Hajj, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ ضُرِيبَ مَثَلٌ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَنْ يَخْلُقُوا ذُبَابًا وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا لَهُ وَإِنْ يَسْلُبُهُمُ الذُّبَابُ شَيْئًا لَا يَسْتَنْقِذُوهُ مِنْ ضَعُفَ الطَّالِبُ وَالْمَطْلُوبُ I sometimes rely on my own translation of the Qur'an. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, listen carefully to this example because Allah addressed mankind. He did not say, oh, you, oh, you believe. No, he, he says here, oh, people, not only the believers, but every man, every woman must listen to this similitude or to this parable or to this example that Allah has mentioned. He said that, O people, an example is presented to you, so listen to it. Indeed, those you invoke beside Allah, those that you have taken as gods beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are so weak. Listen to their weakness. Allah said that, Indeed, those you invoke beside Allah will never create as much as a fly, even if they gather together for it. And if the fly should steal from them a tiny thing or snatches away something from them, they could not recover it from him. Weak are the pursuer and the pursued. So in this very clear challenge, Allah is telling all people that whatever gods that they are worshipping, are so weak to the extent that, and Allah chose one of the smallest creation that He has created. He said, they, they cannot create a fly. Not only that, but even if this fly attacks them, snatches away something from them, if a fly snatches away from you some sugar, from, you were eating your donuts, and a fly came and just took a little piece, Allah is saying that if all nations gather together in order to take it back from that fly, they will never do it. They will never be successful. Well, someone might say, of course, a non-Muslim, not a Muslim. Well, this maybe is good centuries ago, but nowadays, simply we can catch the fly and take it to the lab, to the laboratory. And then we can do some kind of analysis and take back whatever that fly has eaten or take it away. I have read in some authentic and 
this is very sound information. Of course, all of you heard of the, they call it the miracles of the Quran, the scientific miracles. They mentioned that, especially the fly that Allah mentioned here, al-dhubab, that every fly has certain fluids that it produces every time they eat. So once they eat anything, immediately that fluid change the nature of whatever they have eaten immediately. So if they eat sugar, and they vomit it, or you can take it away from it, it's not sugar anymore. It's a completely different thing. So whatever fluids they produce, immediately change the nature of whatever they eat. So even if you take it to the laboratory, it's not going to work. And we knew this before we know about this theory, or this scientific fact. It's a fact, it's not a theory anymore. So Allah is telling us that those gods that they worship beside Him are so weak to the extent that they cannot even create the smallest creation of Allah, which is a fly. Not only that, but even if a fly attacks them, they are helpless. They can't defend themselves. See, this is weak are the pursuer and the pursuit. They're both weak. Those who try... To defend themselves from a fly, a very small creation, and the fly, nothing. They're all weak. So, one of the ways to know Allah, to get to know your Creator, the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is by reflecting upon the, His signs that He has created and made very clear for those who use their logic and reasoning and their intelligence to come to this fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who is worthy of being worshipped. This is the ayah that I mentioned which is good for every time. But what, what about the ayah that I mentioned that it was good for the time of the Prophet sallallahu the challenge. Of course you may say the challenge of the Quran. It's still valid that Allah challenged jinn and mankind, if they were to gather together in order to produce just one ayah, but you can't present this to the West, because they say we don't speak Arabic, so we definitely cannot, uh, you know, put an ayah together. But at that time, it was a different challenge. It has nothing to do with the language. It had to do with whatever Allah has decreed has to take place. The ayah was revealed, Tabbat yada Abi Lahabin wa tab. In which Allah informed Abu Lahab and the people of Mecca that Abu Lahab will die as a kafir and go to hell forever. Now this is a great challenge. How can it be a challenge? Can, can you answer? Simply, he can say, well, that's what Allah says, I'm a Muslim now. Right? All he had to do is just come to any gathering and say, look, this ayah was revealed right now. Allah is saying that I'm a kafir and I'll die as a kafir. No, I bear witness. And he can say it like the hypocrites used to say it. It didn't have to be out of his heart sincerely, but he even couldn't claim that. That is a challenge. To him and to the people of Mecca and to the disbelievers as well. So one of the ways to know Allah is the number of challenges in this universe that Allah 
has made very clear to those who use their reasonings and those who reason and use their intelligence. It's very clear that Allah is challenging His servants and showing them that they are ignorant and whatever they know is nothing but very little of what He has blessed them with. And of course there are many ayat here that I've brought to your attention but for the sake of time again that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in very in a different ayat in the Quran that when we reflect about, upon the creation of Allah, the way you are created, heavens and earth, indeed there are signs for those who believe in Allah and in the hereafter. Another way is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through logic. Those who believe in logic and that they are logical things and they are reasoning, they can use that methodology to come to the conclusion that Allah is the only one who is worthy of being worshipped. And that He is the only true God who is worthy of being worshipped. This is very simple. I'll just mention one ayah in the Quran in Surah At-Tur. Jubayr ibn Mut'am, one of the companions that it was narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari, he said, one side, he came to Medina to meet the messenger of Allah. He was not a Muslim yet. And when he entered the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ was reciting in Salat al-Maghrib this ayah, Surah al-Tur. And once he heard the ayah, immediately he embraced Islam. Because it was a very logical Theory that Allah presented. It's just one simple statement, one ayah. Am min It's just one statement. All you have to do is just think about it. And you must come with an answer and then you must adhere to that answer. And this is knowledge. This is the knowing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, or were they created by nothing? Or were they the creators of of themselves? As simple as this. Were they created? It's just one of two things. Either they were created out of nothing, or they are the creators of of themselves. So no one ever claims that he created himself. So if he doesn't claim that, then there must be a creator. Then it's your responsibility to find him and worship him. As simple as this. And those who use this kind of reasoning, this kind of logic, they will definitely be guided. And at the end, they will find about the truth because Allah promised in the Quran that those who struggle for his sake, at the end, they will be guided. And those of you who were not Muslims before, they know this for fact, for certainty. That when they were sincere in seeking the truth, at the end, Allah guided them. Another way of knowing that Allah is the only one who is worthy of being worshipped is to know that Allah does exist and this is of course, we're still elaborating on the means and ways that 
which are suitable and good even for non-Muslims. We not we are not discussing yet the two major ways of knowing Allah for Muslims and believers. It is to look at the fact that all nations have agreed that there was a creator who sent a messenger. Now if we have ten different brothers from different cities who come to this room and every one of them tells us that it, there was a, a car, a severe car accident that took place somewhere in Europe. And now all of them, they would say that we've seen that. It came on the news, we saw the accident, it was severe, too many people died, etc. And everyone comes with some details. At the end, you come to, in the very beginning, you know that, yes, yeah, someone is telling me that there was an accident. Or there was an accident. Then when another person comes, now you're more certain that there's something happens. Now when the ninth or tenth brother comes and tells you the same exact details, now you know for sure that something that happened because all of these people cannot lie. Simply, they're from different places. They do not know each other. There was a time gap between all of them. And they just gathered and everyone is telling us the same thing. So it has to be the truth. So all nations, every the Jews, the Christians, the nations before, everyone claimed that he received a book, he received a messenger, and there is God, and he revealed certain commands and rules and laws, etc. Regardless of the soundness of their information, we're not here to evaluate what they're saying, but just the news itself, it tells us that it mu we must believe in that. I mean, as we're talking to an unbeliever, he has to use his reasoning and his logic to come to the fact that all those nations cannot lie. They can't just... The, Nations before us, they can't just fabricate the story of God sending a messenger and a book. And then another nation comes and fabricate the story of God sending messenger and book and so forth. And it continues. So we must know from the different narrations and different histories of nations that there must be a true God, Allah, Jalla wa'ala, who has sent messengers and sent down revelation to earth. And there is a message to every mankind that he should look for. Another way, which is, I'll just sign off with this way. Another way is the, through the miracles of the messengers of Allah. Now every, in every belief, in every culture, in every religion, people believe that their messenger came with signs like, the Jews, Musa, the signs of Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, the signs of Isa, the son of Mary, the signs of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All those missing, and the, the signs of Shu'aib and Ibrahim and Saleh and Hud, all of those noble messengers, when they presented those signs and evidences, all of them, they never claim anything. They all referred that power to Allah, and they used it to prove that they were sent from Allah and by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the fact that messengers presented signs to guide people to Allah proves to every decent 
intelligent person that there was Allah and he should know him and recognize his existence and worship him alone. That of course, some of the ways that the scholars like Ibn al-Qayyim and others mention in their books, how do we know Allah, how do we come to recognize our creator and then worship him. And as I mentioned, this is the fruit or the fruits of knowing Allah is to worship him at the end. It should lead you to worship Allah alone. Now how do, how do believers know about Allah? We can use of course all the previous ways that I mentioned, but there are only two ways for us after we use those ways of course to increase our iman and to be certain, but there are two ways for us to recite the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the best way. And I've quoted some of the scholars here mentioning the influence of reciting Quran. That if you reflect just, you, we have to dedicate some time on a daily basis. Brothers and sisters, this is very important. I advise myself in the first place and all of you to dedicate some time to reciting the Quran. Just like all of us dedicate at least half an hour to check your email on a daily basis. How many of you dedicate, let's say, 20 minutes a day for his email? Please be courageous enough and raise your hands. Most of the brothers, most of the sisters, at least 20 minutes, half an hour. So at least 10 minutes on a daily basis to read the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you will see the impact of this recitation. Because you'll come across ayat, you will come across... Because Allah is addressing you. People would spend a lot of money on listening to useful tapes. That's fine. But who is addressing you in those tapes? The, the scholars, the students of knowledge. But why don't you listen to the Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala? He's addressing you. Oh mankind, oh people who believe. Oh, He's addressing you in every single ayah. So we should dedicate some time. This is how we come to know Allah well, is by reciting His words. And the second way, of course, is by studying the narrations in which the Prophet ﷺ informed us about Allah and the hereafter, what He has prepared for us. These are the divine sources of knowledge of knowing Allah. And as Ibn al-Qayyim said, Ma'rifatullahi subhanahu naw'an That al-ma'rifah of Allah is of two types. He said, one is common. وَهِيَ أَلَّتِ اشْتَرَكَ فِيهَا النَّاسُ الْبَرُّ وَالْفَاجِرُ وَالْمُطِيعُ وَالْعَاصِ One which is a common knowing or ma'rifah, that's all people, even the righteous ones and the evil ones, they all share, which is to know and recognize that there is God. So this is not the type of ma'rifah that we need. It's the other type which... وَالَّتِي مَعْرِفَةٌ تُوجِبُ الْحَيَاءَ مِنْهِ وَالْمَحَبَّةَ لَهُ وَتَعَلُّقِ الْقَلْبِ بِهِ That he says that the second type of knowing Allah or ma'rifah is the ma'rifah which entails that you adhere to His law. You worship Him, you fear Him. إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَةِ That 
those who are the most favor of Allah are those of knowledge, the people of knowledge, the scholars, are because, simply because they know more. So, because they know more, they know more about Allah, about His names and attributes and His power, and what He has prepared for us, and what He can do. So, they once they recognize and know that knowledge, they become the most fearful of Allah. That's why the Prophet ﷺ used to repeat this statement a lot. When he sometimes encourages the companions to do something and they won't do it because they want to be perfect and they think that if they do such and such, then it would be, it would affect their reward or the perfection of their form of worship. For example, like, when they knew that the Prophet ﷺ used to kiss his wife while he's fasting. They said, no, we won't do this. Because they thought that if you kiss your wife when you're fasting and she's fasting, it would invalidate your fast. So even though they knew that the Prophet did it, ﷺ, they didn't, they didn't want to do it. So the Prophet used to repeat the statement. I'm the most knowledgeable of Allah. And I'm the most fearful of Allah. So in other words, you can't fear Allah more than I do. Neither can you know Allah more than I do. So if I do something, it means there is no harm in that at all. So you can't be more pious than the messenger of Allah. You can't be more fearful of Allah more than the Prophet ﷺ. So the more knowledge you have, brothers and sisters, this is what I said. Before that the fruits of knowledge, of ma'rifatullah, of knowing Allah, is to worship Him at the end, and to fear Him. So it's not the amount of information that you know, it's the amount of knowledge, of ma'rifah that you have in your heart, and it will lead you to be an obedient servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think we have completed 45 minutes. And I'll leave the rest of the the time for your, inshallah, questions that may uh, cover some of the points that I missed or didn't have time to elaborate on or explain well. Allah knows best. So inshallah, we're trying to take uh, questions in turn, each from the brothers and the sisters, inshallah. So the first question here is, how do we convince non-believers with the knowledge of Allah when they do not believe in Qur'an and Sunnah? I think the brother wrote the question before the lecture. Uh, the challenge in the Quran uh, 2.23 that many kafirs have claimed that they have met this challenge though it is falsehood but how do we convince them that their claim is wrong? How did they do it? What challenge? How did they do it? Who is the questioner? Yes, brother. I can't hear you. Can you speak up, please? Allah 
Okay. Jazakallah khair. The brother, did you hear the question? The brother say, was saying that some of the disbelievers, they claim that they have uh, produced something better than the Qur'an, and they produce some ayat. Even at the time of the Prophet, Musaylam al-Kadhab and others, they produce some poetry and some statements, and they, they claim that it's better than the Qur'an. But there are two things about Qur'an that we must know, which are considered to be signs to mankind. The first one is that Qur'an is guarded. No one can introduce anything to it. No one can change it. If you take a copy of the Qur'an that was written down 10 centuries ago and a copy that was written down two days ago and it's from two different continents, they'll be the same. You go to the ayah number 24 and surah number 25, it will be the same, definitely. So Allah has revealed this book and He has guarded this book. That's the first thing that they can't apply to whatever they write. Second is that the perfection of its meaning, of its language, of whatever Allah says in the Qur'an, that it never can contradict with any scientific fact, or with any logic, or with any reasoning, or with anything, because it's from the Creator. So whatever they do, they, the people, they, especially wise people, educate people, they may, they may something that is wise or nice, but that's not Qur'an, it's not divine. So they claim that, but the people of the Arabic language, they do not recognize that as the even close to the way of the Qur'an. And if, they were, if there was any chance of anyone to succeed in this challenge, it would have been for those Arabs, the people of the language, the, the poets, the real. So how do we convince them? We don't have to convince them. All we have to do is refute their claim. And tell them that this is not Qur'an, this is our Qur'an, and when you recite, definitely they can't bring anything closer, unless it will be funny. Because the way that Allah, as you all know, in, in Qur'an, it's di- completely different style. I'm sure you, you know how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the heavens and earth, and then suddenly goes into a story of a messenger, and then refers, and this way of reciting the ayat and the way that the ayat was arranged by Allah the Almighty is by itself is a miracle and a sign. No, it has to be in Arabic, definitely, because there's nothing like it, in, even in, I mean, even the English translation, it's the translation of the meaning. And, wallahi, I don't want to discourage you, but those who know both languages, especially if Arabic is your mother tongue language, if it's uh, your native language, and you know some English, when you read the available translation, I mean, some of the, the, the is very bad. I mean, it's completely different meaning sometimes. Because... All of the translators that are, who have translated the Quran, to the best of my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, neither languages is theirs. So what he's doing, he's translating from a language that is not his to another language that is not his neither. So he's not a native speaker of neither languages. Sometimes maybe he's a native speaker of English, but not Arabic. So most of the translators. So, you know, it's just 
even the, the translation that we have is, is not good, unfortunately. Yeah, in respect of creation, Allah is obviously the creator. However, they, the scientists are claiming they are on the way of creating a human being and that they are almost there, they say. What do you make of that? Well, the, in the Quran, in, in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenged them to create the, the spirit itself, not any other thing. This is how we are create, this is what we are created from. So, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has challenged them. And now they claim, it's just a claim. And we must know that they will never create anything. They may put things together. The components of whatever they do are created themselves. They cannot bring something that Allah never created and do something out of it. They cannot invent something purely that never existed. So what they are using, what they are doing, they are using creation of Allah, elements. Everything that they use was created by Allah in the first place. So... It's like a symboling thing. You can't claim if the engine was made somewhere and everything was made and then you put something together, you are assembling things. So they, they are not... That's why we can't say in Arabic that anyone is khaliq. Because al-khalq is to, to invent something, to create something out of nothing. So they do not create, they don't have the ability, they can do it. But they are using created elements, they put them together and they then produce a creation or a new object, I would say. The question of fate, predestination, is inexplicitly intertwined with the knowledge of Allah. Because to know Allah is to believe that He knows what you are going to do mm -hmm. before you do it, and whether you are going to do good or bad. How then would you reconcile free will on the one hand to fate on the other? Well, in the first place, since we do not know what's going to happen, one of the scholars gave a very good example that may answer the question. He said if there was a, an experienced teacher, very experienced teacher, and after one full academic year, and he is mixing with the students, teaching them. And he had, let's say, 10 students in his class. At the end of the year, during the final exams, he looked at the names and he said, Well, Muhammad is going to make it. He's passed. And then Ali and so forth. And when he came to Suleiman, for example, he says, Well, no, he never make it. So based on his knowledge and experience, he wrote down on a piece of paper that this, this student would never make it. I know him. I taught him for one year. He'd never make it. Now the students, they never had the chance to know what he has written down. They don't know. They're studying. They're struggling. They're ready for the exam. At the end of the exams, when the results were out, they found out that the teacher already wrote it down. So Suleiman now was upset with the teacher, said, well, 
How, how come you want me to pass and you already wrote down that I will not pass? Can he use this logic? No, simply because he didn't know. The, whatever was written down was based on the teacher's knowledge. And Allah has the higher example, of course. Allah knew in the first place that that individual would never believe, would never do righteousness. So he wrote it down that he is amongst the people of the fire. So since we do not know, and Allah made it very clear to us, that this would lead us to Jannah, that would lead us to, to the fire, and this, these things will please him, and those things displease him. So all we have to do is use our free will, and choose to be amongst the righteous people, and do the righteous things, and not to do evil, so we cannot rely on what the, the you know the deviants do this is well if everything is written down then you don't have to work because regardless whatever you do it's been written down and decided already that's not the way when praying or other acts of worship i find it difficult to not imagine allah although i know that this is not right as we cannot make similitudes of the creation to the creator does this amount to shirk in Asma wa Sifa, what advice can you give me to help me to correct this? Well, as the Messenger of Allah answered this question, this is an indication of Iman, inshallah. All you have to do is just say Astaghfirullah and try not to imagine Allah, but try to imagine that you are in His presence and you are talking to Him. This is the Sunni way, but not to imagine Him, Jalla because there's nothing like unto Him. So, but to have this feeling, and if this thing ever comes to your mind, this is an indication of iman. Allah knows best. Disbelievers generally use Big Bang and Darwin's theory to counter when we indicate to them the creation as evidence of his existence. How should we respond? Oh, I don't understand the question. Well, it's, now if, uh, I mean, this mic here, can, can you believe that this mic was manufactured by a carpenter? Can you, can you, do you accept this? So the, the creation always tells you about the creator. Some of his skills and knowledge and background. So we know for sure that whosoever produced this mic, he knows a little bit about communication, about electricity, about engineering, right? So this is the, the problem with the so-called educated people or secular people is that they contradict, they're very inconsistent. They say something and sometimes they contradict with themselves. It is true that all forms of the creation, all forms of creation that Allah has created would lead us at the end to believe in the Creator. And it's just as simple as this. It's very difficult to explain simple things. Do we have an obligation to tell non-Muslims about Allah 
face to face or is it okay to distribute tapes and leaflets and advertising etc well it depends sometimes you have to do it face to face sometimes of course it depends on the individual it depends on the situation it depends on your ability as well some people may not have the ability to talk to others face to face so the best way here is just to give him a table to give him a book to read so he may go and search more about Islam. So I can't just tell you something general. It depends on the situation and on the, on the individual. And uh, the most important thing is to realize the importance of conveying this message to others. This is very important. We must call people to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to worship Him. What is the difference between the Kursi and the Arsh? As the Prophet ﷺ, of course, Al-Arsh is the throne. This is Al-Arsh, it's very clear. And Al-Kursi is smaller, definitely smaller. The Prophet ﷺ gave an example of the size of Al-Kursi which extends over heavens and earth to the size of Al-Arsh, the throne. So the Prophet says that Al-Kursi, compared to Al-Arsh, is just like a small circle thrown in the middle of the desert. What is the, I mean, the ratio of the difference in size between a small circle thrown in the desert and the chair or a kursi and an arsh. And of course, the, that small circle, this is the al-kursi, extends over heavens and earth. That's the difference that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the, uh, that the Prophet sallallahu excuse me, mentioned in the authentic narration. So the uh, al-kursi is much smaller and they both one of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we must believe that Allah does not need them. Allah does not need al-kursi nor al-arsh, but they indeed, they need Allah the Almighty. Allah knows best. Could you answer the question, where is Allah, bearing in mind statements like, Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein, and the statement of some of the mystics that Allah is part of His creation? Or Allah is everywhere, like they say. Of course, it is very simple. Look at the narration in which the Prophet ﷺ asked that old lady, where is Allah? She pointed toward heavens. So he told the owner of that woman at that time, free her, she is a believing woman or servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So simply, one of the features of our aqidah, brothers and sisters, is simplicity. Islam, our aqidah, is very simple. You don't have to go to college to learn certain terminologies or certain language to understand aqidah. It's very simple. Where is Allah? Allah is in heavens, on His throne, sitting on His throne in a way that fits His majesty. As simple as this. What is the difference between an ayah and an attribute? Yeah, 
Yeah. Jazakallah khair. Well, the, the difference, the attributes of Allah related to Allah, His attributes like His hearing, His knowledge, etc. Al-ayat are His signs like heavens, earth, these created items. So everything that Allah has created is one of the ayat, one of the signs that should lead you to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe in Him. Okay, I'm going to switch to the sisters' questions now because we just received them. Uh, the first question is, a kafir man trying to refute Qur'an asked me if the earth moves around the sun. I replied yes, and he said, therefore your Qur'an is lying to you, astaghfirullah, because it tells us that the sun rises and sets, whereas in reality the sun does not move. So it cannot be the words of Allah. How should we understand these ayan, and, and how can we explain it? Well, brothers, this is a very important issue here. That some people try to interpret Qur'an according to science or to according to scientific facts. And this is very incorrect. We believe that the words of the creator of science would never ever contradict with whatever he created, which is science, in, in, in this example. So we must know that in the first place. Second, it is very dangerous sometimes to argue and discuss issues related to Qur'an and the meaning of certain ayat, and you are not fully aware of the proper meaning of the ayah. Qur'an is not a book of science, but Qur'an is a book of guidance in which Allah revealed His law, revealed certain ayat, signs to tell people throughout the history, till the day of judgment, that this is from Allah, so there must be some evidences and ayat in the Qur'an which are valid every time and everywhere. So in these examples about the sun and the moon and who rotates around the other and whatsoever, there are some scientific facts that we know for sure the scholars have discovered. Those, of course, Muslim scholars or those who were not Muslims, but they found out that the Qur'an already mentioned something about this. So, I shall refer you to those facts. And they are gathered in one website, which is a very informative website that collected all those scientific signs and um, sure maybe most of you know about it it is the address of, of that site is it and then dash is dash truth dot org let me if I write it down on the computer maybe it's uh, can I yeah. or maybe I'll just Did it come out? Very small.
you can refer any non-Muslim to this site. This is one of the most powerful sites about Islam in the Quran that you can use to call non-Muslims. I mean, if he has just 5% of sincerity in his heart, it would take him 10 minutes to, you know, admit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, another question from the sisters. If knowledge is the way to Allah, how do we... I, I didn't hear you. If knowledge is the way to Allah, how do we, the non-scholars, gain the correct knowledge when so much information is around us? Jazakallah khair. Well, there are two ways of seeking knowledge, as I always mention to the brothers and those who are familiar with my talks. The, the first way, of course, is the ideal way. That is to go through a systematic way, to go to a school, learn the, the Arabic language, and then, you know, finish your degree, etc. That's the ideal way. And those who have the time and the, the ability to do it, they should do it this way. The other way, which everyone can do, is to study under a reliable person. Do not just go to any bookstore or any library and pick up some books and just do your, your own readings. This is not the correct way. My advice to the brothers and sisters is to always go to a reliable student of knowledge and consult him. What to read first and take an evaluation exam. Inshallah, we, uh, it's, it's difficult sometimes to announce something and it might not happen. So people keep waiting. But we in the process of Developing a, a website, that, an exam, it's just like an examination system where you can e evaluate your knowledge. There are different five exams, like the TOEFL, for example. You go and take the test and at the end you know your level, how much you know about Islam, how much you know about Ibadah, how much you know about uh, the brothers did the part related to Hajj. You go and take that exam, it's in Arabic, but not yet in English, inshallah should be out very soon, where you can go and evaluate your knowledge. So the best way, go to any student of knowledge and ask him to evaluate your knowledge and tell you where to start from and how to start. This is very important. What some of the brothers and sisters are doing, they just go read a book, then read another book. Sometimes they read a book of hadith. Some other times they read tafsir, they go back to seerah. This is not the right way. You have to go through certain books at a certain way, a certain methodology. And I refer you, inshallah, to the people of knowledge because there is no general thing that can be applied to all people. But it's like you have to tailor something that fits you. Allah knows best. You mentioned miracles of the messengers of Allah. What is the correct understanding of miracles claimed by other religions, i.e. the appearances of Mary at Lourdes or the Hindu gods drinking the milk? Well, of course, these are not miracles. These are signs that we can use to, to prove the falsehood of their gods. A miracle is the best definition of a miracle or a sign indeed is that something that a messenger would present to people that is either very unusual 
or that they cannot do to prove to them that this is from Allah. For example, Isa, the son of Mary, وسلم, used to heal the sick and bring life by the permission of Allah to the dead ones. So this is very unusual. No one can do that. So he used to do it. By the permission of Allah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in the Quran, the stick of Musa, when he threw that stick, and it turned into a huge snake, and so forth. So the ayah is something very unusual, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it doable to some of his messengers and prophets to prove to people that they are messengers of Allah sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, another question from the sisters again. What kind of proofs can we give to non-Muslims about the fact that the Qur'an has been kept intact when we are saying to them that the Bible and the Torah have been changed or transformed? What is our argument? In the first place, I totally disagree with the methodology of attacking other people's books. This is not the way of the Prophet ﷺ. You can't go and tell people that your books have been changed and they are incorrect and this and that. That wasn't the way of the Prophet ﷺ. All he said when he saw Umar عن, reading the Old Testament, what did he say? He said even if Musa was alive, there was no way for him to be saved unless he follows me. That's all he said. He didn't say, why, did you, why are you reading Umar some false books or some changed books? So in the first place, you cannot put someone on the defensive. You cannot attack his book in the first place. All we have to tell them, like the Prophet ﷺ told us, and this is our problem, is that when we do da'wah, we do not study the way that the Prophet ﷺ did da'wah. The way to do da'wah is to tell them that we believe that your book is divine, however, some of it was changed and we believe in whatever agrees with the Qur'an or does not contradict with the Qur'an. So here you make him feel like you recognize something that was revealed to him. And this is the way of the Prophet ﷺ. But when you first attack him and tell him that this is not the words of God, this is incorrect. Because some of it is the word of God and wasn't changed. But we, of course, have to study that and examine that. So, in the first place, do not attack him. Prove to him that the Qur'an is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, it's very clear. Especially... Those of you who were not Muslims, they know how clear it is when you read the Qur'an as a non-Muslim and you come to find out about the truth and you know stories of those who were convinced just by reading the Qur'an more than I do. The Bible is what? Uh-huh. But those books... Allah by His wisdom made it the responsibility of those people to guard their books. So they were not guarded. They were subject to changes. Unlike the Qur'an, it was the responsibility of Allah to guard the book and preserve it. So that's our answer to them. Um, that's the end of the session. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for talking on the topic. And I remind brothers and sisters to please
make sure the questions are relevant to the topic as they won't be asked. And a lot of them are not, most of them actually are not relevant to the topic. So please make them relevant to the topic. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu Brothers and sisters, we are going to take a break for about 30 minutes, inshallah. And the next lecture will begin at 10.45, precisely, inshallah. We'll try and stick to the program. 10.45, 30-minute break. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu But as I mentioned, when, when it comes to discussing the facts, the scientific facts about the nature of life, you never find an eye that denies the existence of sun, so-called sun, never. Or that the heat of the sun, that it's hot, so-called, or the light of the moon. But, as I said, that you, they have to understand the Arabic the language well, know the proper meaning in Arabic, and then argue. It's hated to ask unnecessary questions, but to ask questions.